The subject of today's episode is a true crime story of mutilation, torment, and murder. When a bright young teenage girl and her sister are taken in by a neighborhood family, what seems like the perfect arrangement soon turns into a house of horrors. Carried out not just by the mother, but also by her children and her children's friends. Starvation, verbal abuse, and daily beatings over the course of almost four months turn into burnings, brandings, unsavory meal choices, and some very disgusting acts with a Pepsi bottle. All ending with one of the slowest and most upsetting deaths you could imagine. Called by many the single worst crime perpetrated against an individual in Indiana's history, today we cover Gertrude Benetreski's and the murder of Sylvia Lycan. I'm Kevin Young. I am Dan Hurrigan. And this is Torture. Yeah, this one's going to be, this one's going to be a barrel of laughs. Uh, She has a very Polish name, and I have heard it pronounced three or four different ways. So I'm just going to call it Banachewski. So... Okay. It's, it's like it's Banachew whiskey. Uh so Banach whiskey. So if I get it wrong, if there's somebody out there that knows better than I do, uh let me know. And I can't really do anything about it because you're hearing this after it's been put out, and I'll just say, Yeah, fuck it. Um uh, just a real, real quick thing before we get started. If you remember uh back in our last episodes, I asked everybody to kind of say, Hey, how uh tell us where you heard us. Uh, or how you heard of us, you know, and what your favorite thing is. And we did get an email from our good friend, Jetsag, who I believe is uh, Jagavani. Um, just said, hey, I want to answer your question from the last episode. I found your podcast. After I listened to a particularly gruesome episode of Hardcore History with Dan Carlin. I can't remember which one, but he described some savage medieval shit, and afterwards I started searching for other podcasts of similar ilk, found Torture Pod, and I've been listening ever since. I prefer the, I prefer the Torture Method episodes, but I also like the serial killer stuff too. I prefer the mix of both, actually. Always looking forward that always looking forward to the next one. Thanks, guys. Also, no. 911 does not take your word for it when you say false alarm in Canada. The Canadian bashing is hilarious. Your Canadian accents suck, though. Cheers, guys. Keep it up. Uh, <laughs> They're supposed to suck. And I would like to reiterate, I believe our Canadian accents are fucking perfect. Eh? <laughs> we're going to keep. It's not a boot. And we're going to keep doing them. So there you go. Yeah, thank you. It's uh, nice to know that Dan Carlin has contributed to our listenership. Yeah, I, I told him, I was like, I never in a million years would think that somebody would go from Dan Carlin to us. Yeah. That's a, Say Dan Carlin? That, 
Dan Horrigan. <laughs> it's a, it's a big scale step. of Dan's. <laughs> it's a big step. I'm not going to say if it's a sideways step, an upward step, or a downward step, but it's a big step. Oh, fuck. All right, we're going to get all true crimey on you. And usually we do a little bit of banter, but we actually got a, quite a bit of stuff to cover. So, Dan, unless you have anything that you would like to bring up and talk about. No, um, except, was it, we're watching Supernatural. Oh, yeah? Got the wife into watching that. I watched most, not most of it, probably about five, six seasons back when it first came out. Fell out of touch with it, back into it now. And it's very interesting. So it is. Good show. That's a show that I never really got into a whole lot. My wife liked it, which I'm pretty Mm. sure is probably because of the the Winchester boys. But, um, that was just nothing. As I saw a couple episodes, I was like, yeah, it's okay. And I just never kind of went back for it. So yeah, that's just harmless monster of the week fluff. Really? You know, yeah. it's, has it has some, has enough, um, gore and, uh, the odd little bit of a scare in it to keep me interested. You know, yeah. half at the time my wife's sitting there she's kind of like, that seemed a bit too easy. And I was like, <laughs> yeah, well the whole point is a monster of the week shit is, what are we facing? What's its weakness? How do we get it? Okay, let's go kill it. You know, yeah. and it's once they know how to kill it, then it's going to be an easy fight. Like you know, and then so that's the way they work. Yeah, both of the any, same. Any shows like that, it, it was always you know, oh, the big bad guy who you know is here to kill everybody. Ah, you beat him pretty easy. It, it, yeah, I mean, it's like the White Walkers. Fight. After eight seasons or whatever, it was a build up. The, about the, the most fierce thing we've ever faced, ever. Oh, that was pretty easy. Disappointment of the century in that fucking final episode. Yeah, my oh favorite my thing about that whole White Walker battle, right? Just some spoilers, but people you should have seen already, right? But if you haven't, you haven't I'm seen sorry. Game of Thrones but by now, anyway, fuck off. So when the big massive battle is happening and the White Walkers are coming down and they're all like. Oh, they're approaching the castle and you can see the army off in the distance. And they have, who are supposed to be the greatest, effectively, kind of cavalry or horseback people in yeah. the entire of the known world. Realm, yes. Right? And they um, ride off into the darkness, completely blind, to attack an unseen enemy. Just, you know, cause. And they get completely wiped out, understandably. As opposed to actually doing what they should do, tactically. Like, it made no fucking sense. You know, like... Yeah. Like, I'm not, I'm not a military boyfriend like that, but at the same time, I still know that that made no fucking sense. Yeah. Like, to do what they did. And they lost one of their greatest assets in doing so. So, um, yeah, pretty stupid. Uh, they should have lit the braziers much earlier, stuff like that, you know. So anyway, that's the, that's my complaint over. The entire fight with the White Walkers should have been an entire a, a season of its own. Yeah, yeah. If you, or at least a half season. You could have yeah, you could have done so an entire half season on just trying to take down the White Walker, the the king of the White Walkers. Yeah. I mean, you, but they had the dragon. I mean, they. I mean, come on. Just really screwed the pooch on that one. And I blame HBO more than I blame the writers because they're the ones who kind of put a kibosh on spending the millions and millions of dollars for all those episodes. So, And George R.R. R. Martin for not actually finishing the book series when he was supposed to. <laughs> That's true. Yeah. Well, anyway, now that we're all depressed. 
<laughs> oh, fuck. Let's get into this because this is, man, this is, this is hard. So Sylvia Marie Likens was born the third of five children to Lester and Elizabeth Likens on January 3rd, 1949 in Lebanon, Indiana. Her sister Jenny was born along with her twin Benny just a year later. When Jenny was very young, she contracted polio, which resulted in her having to wear a steel brace on one leg and use crutches. It's not really a big part of the story, but there you go. Uh, the marriage between Lester and Elizabeth was very shaky. And by the time Sylvie was a teenager, they had separated. Early summer 1965, the family had just gotten back to Indiana after a short stint in Long, in Long Beach, where Lester worked for Douglas Aircraft. Lester moved back to his hometown of Lebanon. Elizabeth took the kids, Sylvia, Jenny, Benny, and their older brother, Danny, who had his own twin named Diana, uh, who had gotten married and was living with her husband now, uh, to live in an apartment in Indianapolis. So now you know some of the players. Um, the Lycans were never really well off. I wouldn't go as far as to say they were constantly poverty constantly poverty stricken, but there were plenty of times where they had to get some kind of assistance, be it welfare, food stamps, what have you. Um, I've been there myself, so there's no, you know, nothing wrong with it. Uh, sometimes things got bad enough that Elizabeth had to find ways to get the things they needed or wanted without spending of money. Uh, July 3rd, around 10.30 in the morning, Elizabeth was taking Sylvia and Jenny to the ro roller rink. She complained about being too hot in her slacks, so she decided to stop by a discount store to grab some shorts. She found some she liked, but instead of purchasing them, she shoved them in her purse. Uh, Jenny had As noticed and suggested this. Huh? As you do? Yeah, sure. Why not? Five-finger discount, they said when I was a kid. Uh, Jenny had noticed and suggested to Sylvia that they wait outside so they wouldn't be around their mother when she did shit like that. Unfortunately, on the way out of the store to meet up with her daughters, one of the workers stopped her and made her empty out her purse. Uh, police were called. Elizabeth was taken to jail. So the girls, 16 and 15, walked towards home. And that's when they met up with their friend, Darlene McGuire, who told them about a house not too far from there that had kids living in it. There's probably someone there they could all hang out with. So they decided to stop by 3850 East New York Street to meet Mrs. Wright and her seven kids kids. Jenny and Sylvia made friends with a few, including Mrs. Wright, and Mrs. Wright ended up asking Jenny to stay for dinner. And Jenny said only if Sylvia could also stay, to which Mrs. Wright conceded, and the two stayed to eat, even though Jenny thought it was weird that she didn't offer to feed Sylvia in the first place. Both girls came over and like, well, you could stay and eat. It's like, well, yeah. why don't you feed both of us? <laughs> I don't like you. <laughs> <laughs> that's kind of silly uh, afterwards they went back home so you know just a random July day the day before 4th of July it's, you know whatever next day Sylvia Jenny and Darlene met up with Paula one of Mrs. Wright's daughters they all headed to Paula's house during the walk Paula 
age 17, exclaimed that she was two months pregnant. Just proudly out of nowhere. Hey, guess what, guys? I'm up to duff. I'm two months pregnant. Uh, Early and often pregnancies were not uncommon in the Wright household. Just so we know. Yeah. Uh, When they arrived at the house, Sylvia and Jenny were invited to spend the night. They accepted and, by every account, had a very good time celebrating another one of Mrs. Wright's children's birthdays, Shirley, who was turning 10. So, Shortly before midnight that evening, there was a knock on the door. It was Lester and Danny Likens searching for the girls and Elizabeth. Lester had just accepted a job to go on a tour of Indiana country fa- uh, county fairs and operate concession stands with the carnival company, and he wanted Elizabeth to go with him. Isn't that sweet? What's wrong with your sister? <laughs> Nobody likes her. You're not allowed to stay for dinner. You're not allowed to come with me to the county fairs. You stay here. Transformers. Well, well, Transformer well, one, is it the one with the, the leg? No, uh, uh, Jenny is the one with Paul. Uh, okay. Elizabeth well, was case, the mother. Yeah. Elizabeth but, was but, the mother. Yeah, he wanted his. He wanted his. I guess. Uh, oh, sorry, sorry, to, sorry. Yeah, I yeah. mixed up the. That's the all right. There's a lot of. There's gonna be a lot of names that are gonna come right. down. Uh, this isn't one of those true stories where it's like just two people fighting it out. There's a lot of names that are gonna come down. So I'll. I'll try to keep everybody separated. But no, Lester wanted his his wife to go on the carnival circuit with him. You know, try to get the the family back together. Uh, after a long search for his wife that night, unable to find her, she wasn't at the jail or at her apartment, Lester and Danny came back to the Wright's house with some White Castle. I imagine, I don't believe you have any White Castle in Ireland. No, uh, I know of it, obviously, from Harlan Kumar and from other internet videos and stuff like uh, uh, yeah. The burgers don't really look that great to me, but anyway. <laughs> White Castle is one of those, it's 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 up there with like candy corn, circus peanuts, pineapple on pizza, it, it's it, black licorice. It's very divisive. You either absolutely hate it or absolutely love it. There's no in between. Personally, me and my family, we love us some fucking White Castle. Love oh. White Castle. It's delicious. It's actually one of the things that my wife and I bonded over when we first met. I drove Ooh. I drove 40 minutes to get White Castle and then turned around and drove another hour and almost two hours to meet her so we could have White Castle for dinner on our first date. We ha! fucking love nice. White Castle. It's great. <laughs> and they're all over Indiana. So, right. you know, if you're out there and you like White Castle, yay. So do I. Um he spent the uh, very early early morning hours slightly inebriated, crying about his wife. Uh, him and Danny ended up sleeping in the living room of Mrs. Wright's house. But before Lester passed out, he had told Mrs. Wright about his carnival plans, and she jumped at the opportunity. She offered to board the girls for $20 a week and treat them like her own. Her daughters were all in favor of it, as were Sylvia and Jenny. So he agreed, pending approval from his wife, as you do, since she had custody, and uh, he left the girls there while he went to find Elizabeth, who was actually staying with her parents. So it's just why he didn't immediately go look at her parents' house, I don't know. But that would be one of the first places I would look. You know, uh, The Makes girls... <laughs> 
I mean, yeah, you, she's not. A, she, she was in jail. You go look at the jail. She's not there anymore. So you go to her apartment. Well, she's not there. Okay, where's the next best place? Uh, her best friend's house and her parents' house. Those are the four places she look at first. Uh, you start calling hospitals and morgues after that. You know. But anyway, uh, the girls ended up sharing a room upstairs with three other kids. Uh, the next day, Lester and Elizabeth showed up at the Wrights' home, gave her $20, told her to take care of the girls with a firm hand since Elizabeth let them get away with everything, and they left. They didn't take the time to inspect the house, the safety of it, the cleanliness of it, or even if it had the right amenities and room to house an extra two teenage girls. If they had, they probably would have just taken the girls with them because the Home of Mrs. Wright or Gertrude Banachewski, which was her legal name, uh, was nowhere near appropriate accommodations for half the people living in it, let alone two more. So who was Gertrude Banachewski? This woman that so kindly offered to take in two more mouths on top of the seven that she already had. I don't want to get too much into her because she's the villain, obviously, if you can't tell. Um, But we have to know a little bit about her. So Gertrude Nadine Van Fossen was born September 9th, 1928 in Indianapolis, Indiana, to Hugh and Molly Van Fossen, the third of six children. Not a ton is known about Gertrude's early life, but we know that she was asthmatic and sickly quite a bit, and that there was a certain amount of hostility, if not outright hate, between her and her mother. So she became incredibly close with her father, doing practically everything with him, until October 5th, 1939, when she was 11, and she watched him die of a heart attack. Fuck that. Good memory. (laughs) Yeah, that's not the sort of thing that leaves happy memories, is it? Yeah. Well, I mean, it might scar you for life. I don't know. Never watched any loved one actually. Well, I take that back. I don't want to get into it. All right. Uh, After that, she was all but ostracized from the rest of the family. So, just a few years later, she would find solace in the arms of men. Specifically, an 18-year-old, two years her senior, named John Stefan Stefan Banachewski. They got married after only two months of dating, and she would give him four children, Paula, Stephanie, Johnny, and Marie, with several miscarriages just kind of mixed in there, in the course of their 10-year marriage. John had a violent temper and occasionally, just occasionally, would beat his wife, you know. Not constantly. Every once in a while. Just enough. He kind of found a Goldilocks zone of beatings to keep her in line. After the divorce, she had a very brief marriage to an Edward Guthrie. Uh, Then she got back together with John. They remarried, had two more children, Shirley and Jimmy, or James, then divorced again in 1963. <laughs> if it didn't work the first time, probably not going to work the second time. <laughs> I doubt he's changed, and we know you haven't. Uh, just a few weeks after this divorce, the now 35-year-old Gertrude would start dating 20-year-old Dennis Lee Wright, 
who also abused her. They had one child, Dennis Jr., May of 1964, to which Dennis Sr. almost immediately abandoned and very rarely sent any money to help with the raising of his child. So just <laughs> gems, just gems all around. She really knows how to pick them. You know, it's, it's like fucking like a soap opera. Like anybody that's listening, that's like oh, the UK or Ireland, will know what I say. When mean when I say it's like an episode of EastEnders or something. Like oh that. yeah, we it's, know EastEnders. I've I've, I've uh, never actually sat down and watched EastEnders, but I don't know want of to. EastEnders. It's yeah. fucking <laughs> terrible, but it's like Jersey Shore. Oh God, it's not even. That's worse. <laughs> it, yeah, I'm sure it is. Yeah. Uh, she would end up taking Dennis uh, Wright's name, even though they were never married. So that's why she was known as Mrs. Wright, uh, because of the amount of children she had to care for and the fact that she was quote haggard, underweight, asthmatic, chain smoker, suffering from clinical depression due to the stress of three failed marriages, a failed relationship, and many miscarriages, Gertrude rarely had any money. Sounds like my kind Main... of woman. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Ticking all of them boxes. <laughs> you slap on a really worn out butterfly tramp stamp and you and I got a yeah. thing. <laughs> <laughs> Wearing them... Them was at Van Dutch jeans as well, I'd hope. Yeah, cut in the Daisy Dukes. Yeah. But you don't have an ass to carry it off. Yeah. <laughs> Her main source of income was the sporadic checks she got from John and the occasional odd job, such as sewing or cleaning. In fact, Paula, her oldest, was expected to work and help out around the home. Speaking of which, let's take a second to talk about this. Putting, doing the finger quotes, home. First off, there was no stove or oven, just a single burner in the kitchen, like plug in. That was it for all their. That's food. all you need. Not for lots That's of all you need. That's what she did all her cooking on. Except she didn't do any cooking. She didn't really cook. And even if she did, they would have to take turns eating because the house of eight only had three spoons to eat with. <laughs> And two of those ended up getting lost. Nice. <laughs> I think if you only have three spoons for eight people, you keep track of those fucking spoons. I was going to say one spoon to rule them all. <laughs> the one true spoon. Oh, she kind of looks like Gollum, too. She's like, oh, precious. Precious. Um, <laughs> meals were usually... Toast for breakfast and soup for dinner, which is weird since you only had the three spoons. Uh, there was a thick <laughs> layer of dust on almost every surface of the house. There was uh, old cola and Pepsi bottles along with other trash just strolled around the home. And not enough mattresses for everyone, so the kids had to take turn each night sleeping on the floor. It's my turn for the mattress. Tonight's my turn. It's Tuesday. I get Tuesday. Yeah. Poor kids. It's getting knocked completely out of kilter then when they have two more thrown in there. Yep. But, but the kids adapt. You know, kids always do what they can with a bad situation until it comes just the way things are. So the girls didn't really seem to mind. Uh, and the, the kids didn't really seem to mind. In fact, by all accounts, the first week or so was actually really enjoyable for them. 
They listened to records. They would walk to one of the three parks in a three-mile radius of the house. Uh, Gertrude would get overwhelmed by the amount of kids in the home, so she would yell until they left, throwing them out pretty much until it got dark, which was pretty normal growing up until, like, the late 90s. You, you wake up, you go outside, don't come back in until streetlights come on. That's just yeah, kind of how it always has been. So for her to be like, get the fuck out of the house, go do something, leave – you know, that you come back for a handful of chips and a sandwich for lunch, and then you go back outside. That that's just how it was. It's Gen Z. That's how it was. Era. That's, that's how it was. Dan, I have a confession to make. I have crabs. Beard dandruff. So close. <sighs> so much worse. I know. Look away, I'm hideous. All serious. All serious. All serious. All serious. Me serious now. No funny. (laughs) Frankenstein. No fire. Bad. Ah. In all seriousness, many of us men with facial hair have some sort of dry skin under their face fur. I I have particularly dry skin. Uh, especially on my face, around my nose, my eyes, ears. That beard and mustache, they draw a ton of moisture from your skin in order to stay healthy, leaving the skin underneath sometimes dry, itchy, red, flaky, leading to uh, the beard dandruff. And I struggled with it for quite a while. Struggled to, you know, rein it in. Then I found thebeardstruggle.com. They use all-natural products, never tested on animals, that your face body and beard will love they have day oils to protect your beard from uv rays and dirt and grime and it keeps your skin from drying out all the troubles the day can bring and they have night oils to help moisturize and rejuvenate your skin and beard while you sleep not to mention as of right now they have date eight different fragrances <laughs> according kevin according to <laughs> that's this what they tell me that's what they tell yeah. me do you want to know what they are? I do. I want you to Ready? I want you to pronounce them perfectly. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Here we go. Ready? Okay. Yeah. From Alfheim's Forest, which has the scent of woodsy leather and spices, to Heoneer's Home. Scents of greenery, amber, and musk. To Valhalla's Gates. With essences of citrus, amber, sandalwood, and vanilla. Mm-hmm. And right now, yes, right now I'm using the Aesir's Triumph, which I'm probably pronouncing that wrong, which has the scent of sweet incense, tobacco, whiskey, and cinnamon. And my wife absolutely loves it. Of course, I haven't gotten one from them they haven't loved, that she hasn't loved. So, And if you can't choose, just get the sample pack, which comes with six of their mainstay scents and five milliliter bottles of nighttime elixir, so you can decide what is best for you. But they have so much more than just oils. Balms, wax, shampoo, conditioner, butters, cologne, natural deodorant, skincare products, heated beard straighteners, combs, brushes, shaving kits, growth kits, merch, list goes on and on and on. No matter what kind, length, or style of facial hair you have, the Beard Struggle has the products you need. You get a free gift for purchases over $50, and you get another free gift for purchases over $100, and all orders over $65 US get free shipping. You have a 90-day money-back guarantee, so you really have nothing to lose. 
and be sure to use our exclusive coupon code TORTURE19 at checkout to get 19% off your entire order. That's T-O-R-T-U-R-E-19 at checkout for 19% off your entire order. TORTURE19 at checkout or click on the link in the show notes. TheBeardStruggle.com. Do what's right for your beard. Do what's right for your face. Then uh, the Banach Whiskey House was kind of the gathering place for many of the neighborhood kids. Uh, well, here's some a bunch more names. Uh, 12-year-old Randy Lepper, Darlene McGuire, who I already talked about. 14-year-old Richard Hobbs, Judy Duke, Anna Sisko, Mike Monroe, even Benny, Jenny's twin, came and stayed a few nights that summer, even though he was living with Elizabeth's parents. And all I can think is... Why, oh, why didn't the other two go live with Elizabeth's parents? Really, really should have pushed harder yeah, to get them to stay uh, with them. They obviously didn't have enough beds. Didn't have to sleep on the probably, floor the time. But they were probably like, we can't take all three. We can take one because we can't afford to feed yeah. them all. Which one is your favorite? We'll take him. <laughs> Benny, the, the grandson. Yeah. The youngest grandson is always the favorite. The good time stopped around the 17th of July, when out of nowhere, Gertrude dragged the two Lycan sisters upstairs and slapped Jenny in the face, exclaiming, quote, well, I took care of you two bitches for a week for nothing, because the $20 hadn't come in yet. The next day, a money order for $20 from Lester Lycan's arrived in the mail for his girl's care. She just would have waited a day. You know, have patience, you bitch. <laughs> Oh, yeah, it's funny. Uh, I was thinking of something there now, I can't remember. <laughs> <laughs> you know what's funny? I'll tell you when I can figure yeah. out when I remember what it was. <laughs> A few days later, the parents stopped by um, between carnivals to visit the girls, and they gave Gertrude another $20. The girls said nothing about the incident. Uh, this is something that's going to keep happening. Uh, the The... The parents show up every once in a while between carnivals. They'll show up, you know, for a couple days. Uh, you know, if they have a long stint, they'll still show up one or two days, and that, that'll be it. So, um, and you want to kind of shake them and be like, look at your children. <laughs> but yeah. they're just, you know, <sighs> whatever. The next week, Sylvia and Jenny got paddled with a hard quarter-inch fraternity-style paddle because Gertrude was convinced that they were getting her children to loiter in grocery stores looking for bottles to turn in for pennies. Oh, grocery store parking lots. Uh, I, She's just jealous. She didn't come up with that get-rich-quick scheme. I mean, it, it's it's a fairly common thing. My uh, One of my stepsons collects soda cans. He takes them to their... Uh, um, metal place just outside of town, and he gets a couple dollars for it. I mean, fuck, people walking around down the road picking up cans. Yeah, I don't see what's a big deal. Gertrude, Gertrude's house is filled with them. Why didn't they just, <laughs> yeah, just take just, them? Just scoop up the house and take yeah. it to the dump. Uh, they would be beaten in the back. Eventually, Sylvia would be get would get it in the back of the head. And when Gertrude didn't have the strength to punish them, she would have Paula do it, who didn't mind. FYI, Paula is kind of a dumb bitch, just like her mom. So she's uh, 
little short, little dumpy, little ugly. Uh, so she's, you know, a dumb, she's a dumb bitch. Paula, yeah. if you're out there listening, you're a dumb bitch. Fuck you, Paula. Fuck you, Paula. Don't you go marry fuck Paul you, Paul Bernardo. And fuck you, Paula. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the build-up of... <laughs> the build-up of pain and torment is kind of a slow burn through July and August. It wasn't a 100% horrifying shit show quite yet. Uh, Stilvia, Sil- Sylvia still had trips to the park and Sunday school with the Banatruskis, uh kids at Memorial Baptist Church. But don't think for a second that the abuse at the hands of Gertrude or Paula had ceased. Paula had actually broken her wrist punching Sylvia in the jaw on August 1st, then <laughs> bragged about it at church, telling some, quote, I tried to kill her. It's like, what? She's a fucking idiot. What happened to your wrist? I punched Sylvia in the face yeah. and tried to kill her. Yeah. Um. Oh, God. I love that. It's like we're uh, seeing things like that, like yeah, people you know, hitting things out of anger and <laughs> injuring themselves it's always fun yeah i did it i've done it i uh a girl broke up with me and i beat the fuck out of my brother's punching bag without any gloves on i still have can't really see i still have marks on my knuckles from work took all the skin off nice. and uh, i punched i punched the light bulb out of my fan in my room which was like the dumbest fucking thing because I had a giant thing of glass stuck in between You're my so right angsty there between my fingers. <laughs> That's hardcore teenage Kevin. Well, I had fucking, <laughs> I had corn playing on my boombox. Yeah, black you can hair. See, you can see I'm going blind. And it's a deadly innocent. Deadly innocent. <laughs> I wasn't quite that that bad. <laughs> Now, the cast Paula had would regularly be used as a weapon against Sylvia, bashing her in the mouth with it until she was left crying and bleeding. Now, this was usually because Gertrude told Paula that she was saying derogatory derogatory things about Gertrude when no one else was around, and Paula just took her word for it. It's like, you know, when you're not around, she calls me like a bitch and a slut. Don't ask her about it. Just, just yeah, go just beat assume. Her yeah, 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 yeah. Just assume that I, I'm your mother. I'm not. Okay. I would never lie to you. Yeah. Too much. And this, this is an ongoing thing. Not just the abuse, but the kids almost bragging about the abuse on Sylvia, and absolutely no one doing anything about it. Like a month or so later, when the vacant house next to the Bench Whiskies was purchased. Uh, by Raymond and Phyllis Vermillion. They had two children that they had contemplating letting Gertrude babysit, but they wanted to get to know her first. Phyllis went... Now, there's a couple different stories. I read a few different... uh, A couple different books and some Murderpedia stuff, and the way this all went down, it's put differently in a different different context. But the book I read that seemed to be the most creditable puts it kind of this way. Um, Phyllis, Phyllis came over to the house one day to chat and she noticed that Sylvia was sitting at the dining room table with a pronounced black eye. 
Paula proudly announced to Phyllis that she was the one who had given it to her. Uh, Gertrude told Phyllis that Sylvia was three months pregnant and a constant troublemaker. We'll get to the pregnancy thing here later. Uh, then Paula approached Sylvia with a glass of steaming hot water and threw it in Sylvia's face. And she shrieked in pain. Then, then Paula applied margarine to the burns. Is that is that a thing? Um, it probably is, but like it's because of something cold, I assume. But like, what the fuck? Like, this is in front of the neighbor, the new neighbor. So yes, this is so like while she it, is there, they are so telling her like, how horrible. Imagine showing up for a job interview, right? <laughs> <laughs> like, and telling them straight up. Well, just so you know, I tend to rob people. Tend to rob my employers um i tend to physically and emotionally abuse my co-workers and then you get up and you slap them in the face yeah and you sit back down and then and they're like well, you're cutting your gym <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> just so you know um i can't um, work sundays um i need the holidays off specifically christmas and thanksgiving i will murder at least one person here uh, <laughs> And Lester's like, hired! Yes! <laughs> but here's the thing. They do this all in front of Phyllis Vermillion. She doesn't call the police. Well, She's just is. like, that's just the way it is, I guess. <sighs> Phyllis. Yeah. Uh, so many opportunities for this girl to be saved, and it doesn't happen. So Sylvia would constantly be accused of lying as well. Once when $10 came missing from Gertrude's purse, she automatically blamed and punished Sylvia. Even though if Sylvia had $10, no one ever saw her spend it. And if she had it, she would have spent it on food since she was always hungry. But if she somehow was able to get anything to eat and the other kids didn't, and they told Gertrude about it, she would get punished. Or if she ate too much when giving food. Uh, given she used food. a spoon for too long. <laughs> it's my turn for the spoon today. It's She's my had spoon day. And a mattress all today. <laughs> it's my birthday. Uh, one Sunday evening, when they attended a church supper and Sylvia finally got a chance to eat food other than soup, crackers, and toast... And the other children told Gertrude that her and Jenny ate too much. They were both stripped and paddled, or got the board, as Gertrude liked to say. Sylvia got the worst of it, being beaten 15 times in the back, in the back and the ass, you know, wherever she could swing and hit. Um, one time at the house, they had hot dogs. While the other kids had theirs the regular way, they decided to pass Sylvia's around to be topped with all sorts of condiments and spices and forced her to eat it. When she vomited, they did it again and made her eat the vomit. Jesus Christ. Uh, not long after, the Lycans came back over to visit their daughters, but per Gertrude's instructions, the girls made no reference to the incident. It's like, just tell her. Tell them. You're just sitting there screaming into the past. Tell them. Just say. Guess yeah. what happened? Take me with you, Daddy. Take me with you. Fuck it. 
see, the neighbor sitting there with a big pile of puke in the corner. You know, I'm just like, oh, that's that's Sylvia's dinner. Ignore that. <laughs> you give your you give your daughter a kiss, hello, and why does your breath taste like smell like yeah. puke? Well, dogs. it's funny. It's fu- it's a funny story. It's like hot dogs and puke. Now the neighborhood boys were over, always over at the house. I mean, it's filled with young girls, so boys are bound to come over. Which, even though Gertrude got annoyed at the amount of children in her house, Gertrude liked young boys. I guess that so from much her so past boyfriend. Yeah, probably. Partner. So much so that she would sometimes do little dances for the boys, specifically Richard Hobbs in the front room. Now, this would probably be a turnoff for most adult men to see. Gertrude was not, as you say, attractive. Uh, look up a picture of her real quick if you want. But it's... it's I did. It's not pretty. Yeah, she's not... Yeah. Dance your way plus over there material. somewhere. <laughs> but for a 14-year-old boy... This would be quite the show. So one can come to a few conclusions of why Gertrude hated Sylvia so much. Either she saw in Sylvia the beauty and opportunity for happiness that had long ago escaped her, uh, and so encouraged and participated in Sylvia's degradation and torture as an act of self-loathing. Gertrude's hard life and current living uh, conditions resulted in a mental break. Or simply she saw the pretty, funny, bright, still-developing teenage girl living in her house as competition for the attention of the young boys of the neighborhood. Uh, None of them would uh, be a surprise to me if that's why she did what she did. Sure, jealousy. Yep. Because she's a horrible Uh, bitch. (laughs) And Sylvia Likens was a a very pretty 16-year-old girl. So you would be jealous, I guess. Uh, which brought up a discussion with the two Likens girls on the subject of sex. Now, when Gertrude asked Sylvia if she had ever done anything with a boy, and Sylvia confessed to crawling under the covers with her boyfriend in Long Beach where she let him feel her up, Gertrude burst into a fit of obscenities, accused Sylvia of being a prostitute, and informed the rest of the house that Sylvia was pregnant because she had let a boy touch her vagina. That's how that worked. <laughs> the sperm came through the fingertips. That all came from the tips. <laughs> well, he says just the tip, tip for a second. Don't let him do it. <laughs> so you get pregnant. She no, then always, always practice safe sex and wear gloves. <laughs> you wear That's gloves. You should walk, walk up with the one Michael Jackson glove. <laughs> I'm a righty. I can't go left. I got to go right. Uh, she then attacked Sylvia. Repeatedly cried repeatedly kicking her in the crotch. Uh, when Sylvia Christ. attempted to sit down afterwards, Paula threw her out of a chair and informed, informed her, quote, you ain't fit to sit in chairs, which is really fucking hypocritical since she was pregnant herself and not married. And a bit of a tramp, you know. A little bit. And a bit now, of an ugly psycho. <laughs> Now, not all the kids were absolutely horrible to Sylvia. Her best friend in the house, minus her sister, was Stephanie Banachewski. Uh Stephanie was thin, smart, ambitious, and the only one of the Banachewskis that felt bad for Sylvia and would go out of her way to stick up for her. Usually. Uh, the day after the attack and the kick in the crotch as an act of revenge, 
The Lycan sisters started a rumor that Paula and Stephanie were having sex with older men for money. Possibly could have been true for Paula, not for Stephanie. She was probably the only one in the house that was still a virgin other than Sylvia and Jenny. Uh, when someone at the school told Stephanie about the story and that he had heard it from Sylvia, Stephanie was yeah, obviously enraged. 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 <laughs> she came home and confronted her about it. Sylvia admitted to it, and Stephanie punched her in the chin. Sylvia apologized. They both started crying. And this is where it should have ended. Two girls have a little bit of drama. They take care of it. Tears, you know, whatever. But there's always a but. Coy Hubbard, Stephanie's boyfriend at the time, had also heard about the rumor. And he decided to come to his love's defense. And he did this by going to the house, slapping Sylvia, and banging her head against a wall. What the fucking porter? <laughs> Jesus then, Christ. Then Gertrude paddled her. Uh, yeah, of course. I was waiting for that. Yeah. That's her paddling. <laughs> yep, that's paddling. Yep, that's paddling. Uh, then there was the incident that served as Gertrude's pretense for keeping Sylvia out of school. Sylvia needed a PE uniform and asked Gertrude to buy her one. She obviously refused, so that evening when Sylvia showed back up at home with the PE uniform, she accused her of stealing it. Sylvia claimed she had found it on the sidewalk. Gertrude slapped her in the face and the arms and kicked her in the shins. When Sylvia finally confessed to stealing it, which may or may not have been the truth, she possibly could have only said it to just make the beating stop, things got worse. Gertrude then began whipping her with the three-inch-wide black police belt her former husband had left. <laughs> People at home can't see. People at home, people listening, can't see Dan's <laughs> background. This one might be better. Nah, that's a bad one. That's a bad one. Yeah, your one's better. That's a bad one. Oh, fuck. Her, uh, John Banachewski used to be a police officer. He left her his um, three-inch wide black police belt so she could take care of their kids, and she used it on Sylvia. Then she sat Sylvia on the couch and began to lecture her on the evils of premarital sex for no fucking reason. You're getting punished because you may have stolen a PE uniform, and now she wants to scream at you about premarital sex. But that's how you uh, get pregnant, by wearing somebody else's PE uniform. Yes. You know, if you steal a PE uniform, it leads, it's a gateway drug to pregnancy. Yes, first, it's, first, it's lice first, then pregnancy. That's how it works. Yeah. Never borrow anybody else's shit. Yeah, then you have a lice baby, and then you're fucked. <laughs> baby comes out with lice, or it is lice. <laughs> yeah. Combination of both. It? It's a lice. It's, it's a, a louse. lice baby. Louse with a lice. <laughs> when Sylvia had said that she never had sex, Gertrude kicked her again in the vagina. Now, this only stopped when Stephanie stepped in to tell her mother that Sylvia hadn't done anything wrong. It's like, hey, mom, you want to knock it the fuck off? 
And Gertrude apparently listened. Um, Stephanie, being the only Banachewski with the heart, started crying over the situation. Coy Hubbard just happened to come over again and was told by Gertrude that Sylvia had made Stephanie cry, and so he helped punish her. He held her as Gertrude burned her fingertips with a lit match for stealing. Christ. Not long after this, Coy would help bring in a new type of punishment to the house. Coy was big, and I think I know the first thing that's going to pop into your head when I say this. Coy was big into judo. In fact, he got the whole Banachewski family into it. Especially the flips. The old judo flips. Mm. Uh, the kids judo would chop. all... Judo chop! The kids would all flip each other onto a mattress for fun. My brother and I used to wrestle around and throw each other on my parents' mattress all the time. We broke their bed frame, but we used to do it all the time. So, uh, yeah, we broke one of our beds to give him, um, me, give my brother a, um, uh, what you call it? The, the Undertaker, not the, was it the Joke thing? Slam? No, no, the other one, the, the right to hell thing, or whatever the fuck it was, the last ride. Oh, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, last ride, powerbomb. Yeah. Power <laughs> yeah. Uh, my brother Brandon and I, we used to suplex each other as far as we could onto my parents' bed. And <laughs> this is more than one time we heard it go, <laughs> and we're yeah. like, oh. <clears throat> you, you get, you get oh, real quiet for a second, and nothing falls in. It's fine, it's fine, do it again. Uh, so all the kids would flip each other onto a mattress for fun. One day, Coy judo flipped Sylvia, but missed the mattress, uh, throwing her onto the ground hard. Through the table. This would become a regular punishment from the kids. Uh, Coy would be encouraged to come over often just to flip Sylvia on the ground. Um, but all the kids flipped each other, even Sylvia. Uh, you know, she had her fair share of grabbing kids and flipping them onto the mattress. One day, little Jimmy jumped on her back for an impromptu piggyback ride, and Sylvia flipped him onto the ground, not realizing what he was doing. Jimmy had some kidney trouble, and Shirley thought that uh, what he what she had done was mean, so she slapped her. When Sylvia didn't slap back, the family kind of took this as a cue that Sylvia just won't fight back. Not the type of people you want to show that you won't fight back. Because, you know. She showed her weakness. Yeah. It was also around this time, Gertrude got Sylvia's best friend, a 13-year-old named Anna Sisko, whom I mentioned earlier, Alone, alone long enough to convince her that Sylvia had been telling the boys at school that Anna's mother was a whore. Quote, Sylvia said your mother goes out with all sorts of men for $5. <laughs> Not just a whore, but a cheap one. Yeah. Uh, Anna, Anna slapped and kicked the unresisting Sylvia, then dug her fingernails and scraped the length of her back. Other children moved to break up the fight, but Gertrude was like, you know, it's their own fight. Let them fight it. Anna kicked Sylvia in the abdomen. Sylvia writhed and clutched her belly, moaning, Oh, my baby, because Gertrude had convinced her she was pregnant. Now, I would think by 16 you would know 
that's not how you get pregnant. But this is the this is the mid 60s, so maybe and she's obviously suffering an awful lot. I think as from like yeah. as the victim here that like she's going to I'd say at this stage believe yeah shit pretty much anything else. yeah yeah. Now, soon after, Gertrude told one of Paula's friends, a girl named Judy Duke, whom, again, I mentioned earlier, that Sylvia had been spreading rumors about her mother and pitted the girls against each other in a fistfight. Now, during the fight, Gertrude instructed Jenny to punch Sylvia. When Jenny refused, Gertrude began to beat her in the face with her fists until Jenny finally agreed to punch her sister. Beat the fuck out of your sister. Just punching her in the face. Like, Jesus Christ. Now, not long after this, Stephanie would stop being a friend and the mob psychology would take effect. She would join in on the beatings, her, Paula, and Gertrude grabbing whatever they could find to throw at or hit Sylvia with. Uh, Gertrude straight up beating her with her fist. She'd just walk up to her out of nowhere and just start punching the fuck out of her. Just for no reason. Uh, Paula and Stephanie would see something, they'd kind of grab it and just chuck it at her. Now, Stephanie doesn't keep doing this for long. Um, she kind of goes in and out of it a little bit, but she's, she's by no way completely blameless in this. Oh, yeah. I, I was, I was hoping there would be one person in this whole thing that you'd be able to go, oh yes, the hero, but she's really, because she could have stopped all this a long time ago and she, she doesn't. So. She might have been fearful of it herself though. That's the thing. Like when Well, she had stuck it up to her mom plenty of times, and yeah. she was probably bigger and stronger than her mom at that point, so I don't think she was really afraid of her mom that much. Um, but Gertrude's best strength was getting others to do what she wanted. She was able to manipulate and brainwash these kids into doing pretty much anything, um, mostly by making a game out of things. Uh, all the kids, plus the kids from the neighborhood, would come over and take turns punching kicking, flipping, burning with matches or cigarettes, and pushing Sylvia down the stairs. Uh, when Judy Duke told her parents about what they were doing to Sylvia, and she goes home and says, Mom, they're doing this, 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 and this to this girl, uh, her parent, her mom pretty much just said, well, that's just how they punish her. There was one Even time... in the 60s, that's stupid, especially fucking <laughs> Indianapolis or Indiana, wherever the fuck they yeah, are. Was, yeah, Indianapolis, Indiana. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Mike Monroe, Monroe, who I mentioned earlier, who I don't really talk about a whole lot in this, but he does you know, do the same stuff all the other kids does. His mom actually calls social services, and a nurse comes over to talk to uh, Gertrude about it. But she... Pretty much just tells her, like, oh, no, she's fine. And that was about it. That was, that was the end of it. She's like, ah, she's fine. Great job, nurse. Yeah. Or she's, or she's like, there's a girl over here with a bunch of sores on her. He's like, oh, yeah, she she does that to herself. <laughs> okay. Now Maybe you should take her and put her in a hospital or something. Uh, and then October came. October was the worst and the end. Uh, Sylvia went out again to sell old soda bottles for money. When she returned home, Gertrude accused her of prostitution. She took her to the living room of her home and forced Sylvia to strip naked in front of her sons and several neighborhood boys, 
on the threat of beating Jenny. Once Sylvia was fully naked, Gertrude handed her a glass Pepsi bottle and forced Sylvia to masturbate with it for the boys, telling her to prove to all them that, quote, what kind of girl you are. That's all kinds of fucked up. Not even a joke cool. about that. Nope. It's not cool. Uh, following <sighs> Fuck you, Gertrude. The... <laughs> Fuck you, Gertrude. Following the Pepsi bottle incident, Sylvia became incontinent. Uh, incontinent. Not incontinent. Incontinent, most likely due to the damage to her kidneys from the constant judo flips. As a result, Gertrude decided that she was no longer fit to live with humans and locked her in the basement with a puppy. There was a puppy down there too, but still. Every Typical cloud. basement. Oh. <laughs> Ooh, silver lining. Mm. Uh, typical basement, small and dank. Her mattress was just a heap of old rags and clothes. Um, At least lack she had of a mattress to- now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's true. It's true. At least she has a mattress now. The lack of toilet in the basement forced Sylvia to defecate and urinate on the floor. And when Gertrude saw this, she began a bathing regimen to cleanse Sylvia, who she began calling a dirty girl. The regimen consisted of filling Gertrude's claw-footed bathtub with scalding water. They would only use water from the hot tap. Binding Sylvia's wrists and ankles and then dunking Sylvia into it. Back to our boiling episode. Yeah, no shit. Yeah. The regimen was administered arbitrarily, sometimes once or many times a day, and sometimes not at all. Uh, when Very she Irish fainted, of me now to ask this is how did she pay to eat all that water if she was so poor? Because <laughs> yeah, hot water here, heat. here is not too bad. Ah, uh, here it's yeah, just turn on the immersion. Never between an Irish mammy and the immersion switch telling you now you better not leave that immersion on it's called tell you. you see here we just have we have giant tanks filled with hot water a hot water yeah. heater no we don't <laughs> well we have the I like, think you know, well, like, we have a, a the, the we have the water tanks alright yeah that, but like it's not as if it's always hot because it costs too much money here to oh, have it yeah. constantly hot so yeah yeah you can get a tankless water heater, which just which is like a a box about like that big and about like that thick, and it's just filled with copper wire and it's constantly heated. Yeah. So it's not just a big tank filled with water, but all the water that runs through it gets heated as it goes through. Um, those are supposed to save you a lot of money on energy and a lot of room. But we just have a big old fucking tank with hot water in it. You just turn it on. Yeah. Oh, when. Uh, Sylvia would faint in the bath. Gertrude yank her hair and beat her head against the side of the tub to revive her. Uh, when Sylvia screamed, she was hitting the side of the head with the fraternity paddle. Right, so hold on. <laughs> so she dunked her into what is realistically boiling water. Um, Close to it, yeah. To wake her up from fainting, she smacked her upside the head to punish <laughs> yeah. her for for being loud 
because of all this, she smacks her upside ahead. Yeah. Okay. I must remember that Pretty now. Much next enough. time I see somebody unconscious, I must go up and punch them in the face and hope and assume <laughs> that that will wake them up. Are you knocked out? You got knocked the fuck out. Somebody give me a paddle. <laughs> yeah. No, she's. It's not. It's not. It's not the brightest thing in the no. world to do. But eventually, Johnny tied gags in her mouth to keep her screams from disturbing the neighbors. You could just stop with the scalding hot baths. That I mean, that would that would probably work too. Just not burn her. Yeah, like that. I mean, that's sometimes, the easiest way. Yeah, I was going to say, yeah, sometimes the simplest way is, is the best way. <laughs> the, simple, yeah. the simplest solution yeah. is usually the best. Uh-oh. Now, following the baths, Paula would rub handfuls of salt all over oh. Sylvia's nude body. Now, this was painful because by this time, Sylvia was essentially being used as a human ashtray. Some cigarette burns on her wrist went all the way down to the bone. Jesus How long Christ. you have to hold a cigarette on somebody's wrist to fucking get down to the bone? That is absolutely disgusting. Other burns and sores, from what we aren't sure, were as big as baseballs, to which Gertrude would apply rubbing alcohol. And margarine. <laughs> and margarine. She also had sores on her scalp that Gertrude uh, cleaned by holding Sylvia's head under scalding hot water. Paula eventually cut off all of Sylvia's long dishwater blonde hair, not to mention the number of burst blisters from all the paddlings and scalding hot water. So what you're doing for the blisters is going to cause more blisters, just so you know. (laughs) It seems every time I scald her, she develops more blisters. What should we do to get rid of those blisters? Wash her. In scalding hot water. Scalding hot water. What'd you do for that blister? I put it in scalding hot water, and now she has more blisters. I don't get it. Yeah, it's nearly like every time I punch a wall, it hurts. <laughs> and the more I do it, the more it hurts. That old joke. I went to the doctor so, said, Doc, it hurts when I do this. And the doctor said, stop doing that. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. <sighs> Now, during this period, Gertrude took on 14-year-old Ricky Hobbs, a neighborhood boy, as her personal assistant when dealing with Sylvia. Hobbs, an honor student from a middle-class family with no previous legal trouble, experienced a sudden shift in personality upon becoming Gertrude's assistant, blindly following whatever orders she gave him. Crime reporters have since speculated that Hobbs was Gertrude's lover and that she had seduced the boy into becoming her henchman. And imagine sitting there walking past her house and it has a sign up in the window that says, Torture PA position available, apply within. <laughs> you know, it's like, oh, yeah, this sounds good. Just an ad in the paper, help wanted. <laughs> Do you like beating young girls? Are you afraid of hot baths? <laughs> Ah, no. Do you, do you like having sex with asthmatic Skeletor looking bitches? Because that's what she is. I'm sorry. <laughs> she looks like a fucking crack whore. Yeah, oh, she does. Fuck. She really, she like really does. I will post pictures on our Instagram, and or well, it, I probably uh, I don't know by now, right now, but I'm sure that it's probably a, a picture of her 
on our uh, logo by now. Gertrude's children turned Sylvia into a money-making opportunity, charging neighborhood children a nickel to gawk at the nude Sylvia or to push her down the stairs to the basement where she was now kept when not being bathed or put on display. In fact, that was the only way she was able to go downstairs. Um, and I hate to admit it, but I got to tell you, as a young boy, if somebody was to say, hey, here's a, you know that Sylvia chick from school? You know, she's pretty good looking. Uh, for a nickel, I'll let you see her naked. I can't, as a teenage boy, I cannot say right now that I would have passed that up. Honestly. I'm just being honest. Now, obviously. Now, obviously. You want to see a nude teenage girl that we have tied up in a basement? No. <laughs> no. I call the police. <laughs> but as a teenage boy, I don't know what I would have done. Just, just you just hear naked teenage girl, and that's all that. That's where it ends. <laughs> oh, Brett, Kevin's so. brains goes Bibs. straight away. <laughs> that's it. Uh, she was kept constantly naked and rarely fed. Uh, often Gertrude and Johnny would make Sylvia clean the basement by allowing her to eat her own feces. And gave Sylvia a container in which she could collect her urine, which she was then made to drink. They even made her once clean out one of Dennis Jr.'s diapers the same way. Christ. Yeah, they like had her tied up and they said, go find her something to eat. And he went and got one of, uh, uh, they, uh. Uh, it was um, Johnny, I think, went and grabbed one of Gen- Dennis Jr.'s diapers, filled, and just kind of smeared it into her mouth. I think Paul Bernardo has um, some good competition here for people competition? I hate the most. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. This is a whole family of people. This is the... this is. <sighs> Coy Hubbard continued to come over. He would bring her upstairs for judo practice, flipping her, chopping her in the face and body. When he was done, he would hold her arms behind her back and push her hard with his foot down the stairs. Then he would go downstairs and bang her head against the wall. Uh, Johnny would also go down and punch and kick her, stepping on her bare feet with his shoes and grinding it to cause blisters. Once they gagged her and tied her up to the stairway railing so high that by her wrists that her feet didn't even touch the ground. She's hanging from the stairway railing by her wrists. That, I mean, hurts. That yeah. hurts. That All the while, me. Sylvia's starving to death. Like she, They're barely feeding her anything. Except for poop. Except for poop. Uh, Gertrude and Paula decided they needed to have some justification for Sylvia's punishment if someone from the state was to come looking around. Be like, well, why is she covered in shit, piss, beaten to a pulp, locked in your basement? We have a good reason. (laughs) Can you imagine? They instructed Sylvia to write a letter to her parents on school paper setting out her 15 confessions of misconduct. Uh, just, just telling her all, tell them all the bad things she did. Uh, Sylvia cooperated because she was too weak and hungry to not like do this. It's like, okay, just stop hitting me. Yeah. yeah. Please stop hitting me. 
Maria Maniczewski told her mother, you know, young Maria, the third youngest. She told her mother that she remembered from a couple months before that Sylvia had met up with her sister Diana in the park. And Diana had given Sylvia a sandwich. Paula went down and began choking Sylvia for the transgression. You were given a sandwich by your sister? Just choking the fuck out of her. When Gertrude asked why Sylvia never told her, she said it was because she was afraid of being punished. Doy. Why didn't you tell me about this? Uh, well, I'm getting choked now, so why do you think, you dumb bitch? <laughs> yeah, I don't think it's the not telling her is the reason she's being punished. It's for eating it. Yeah, you know. it's just for existing. She's being <laughs> yeah. punished for existing, really. Gertrude then beat her in the back of the head with the paddle. The next night, Sylvia actually got dinner. She was given soup. And told to eat it with her fingers. Soup instead of poop. Yeah. She eat it with her fingers. Yeah, because they eat it with didn't your have fingers. that one spoon. Yeah. Uh, when she couldn't do it fast enough, it was taken away. Like, eat it with your fingers. You're not doing it fast enough. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I don't. I think, I think you just kind of take the bowl real quick and just slurp. Because you know you're going to get in trouble anyway, so you might as well go for it. Fuck. That's true. Yeah, to be fair. She probably would have just fucking made her puke yeah. up or something, though. It's a possibility. Uh, that night, they gave her an opportunity to sleep again in a bed upstairs. They tied her to it, torture rack style, and told her she wasn't allowed to use the bathroom. But if she could make it through the night without wetting the bed, she could stay upstairs. In the morning, when they saw that she had again wet the bed... Gertrude made her dress, then took her down to the... Some of the shit she does. It's, it's just like, for no reason. It's like, do this. Okay, now do that. Okay, now do... Like, those people that will look, kill somebody and bury the body, and then go back like two nights later, dig it up and bury it somewhere else, and then go back a week later, dig it up and bury it somewhere else. It's like, bury him the, first, the, the last place the first time, because you're doing a lot of stupid shit. So Gertrude have to get away with murder everybody. <laughs> I feel like we give a lot of tips and tricks that we really shouldn't be giving on this yeah. show. Yeah, like Gertrude made her dr- throwing them off a bridge. <laughs> it's dark, nobody'll see. It's okay. Shave the head first or light the hair on fire. Yeah. Come on, use your brain. Don't take the cement back to the store. Gertrude made her dress, then took her down to the living room where she was forced to perform a striptease for her sons and the neighborhood boys, ending with yet another Pepsi bottle. And then she was sent back downstairs. A few hours later, Gertrude called her back upstairs. Uh, She asked Ricky, Ricky Hobbs, if he knew how to put on a tattoo. He said, sure. Uh, She told Sylvia, quote, you have branded my daughters. Now I'm going to brand you. She's a prostitute and she's proud of it. So we'll just put it on her stomach. The kids then began to heat up sewing needles with matches until they glowed orange. 
Gertrude ripped off Sylvia's clothes and began to carve the letter I, an apostrophe, and the first leg of the letter M. Then she gave Ricky the needle and told him to finish. She wrote down the sentence, I am a prostitute and proud of it for him to brand onto Sylvia's stomach, which he did. If you ever look at pictures, I wouldn't I wouldn't recommend it, but if you ever look uh, at pictures I've of the crime the scene from Sylvia, and you could see the I'm a prostitute proud of it right across her stomach. It's pretty fucked up. Yeah. You might have noticed another thing right above, if you were looking close, right above the I'm a prostitute and proud of it. Uh, another little thing. So they later tried to brand the letter S just above the sentence, probably for slave. Ricky used an anchor bolt in the basement to burn the top curve of the S, and he made Jenny, her sister, do the other curve. But she put it on wrong. And instead of an S, Sylvia now had the number three on her stomach for no reason. Absolutely no reason. I was wondering what that, why. (laughs) It it was because they fucked it up. Because they're idiots. I don't know if Sylvia did, uh, if Jenny did it on purpose, or if she was really just, what was going on. But yeah. And then they took, uh... Sylvia back upstairs to show Gertrude their handiwork. And Gertrude said to her, quote, Sylvia, what are you going to do now? You can't get married now. What are you going to do? You're proud of it, aren't you, Sylvia? Aren't you, Sylvia? I can just imagine her smoke, just her asthmatic chain smoke. What are you going to do now, Sylvia? Aren't you proud of it, Sylvia? Just a dumb, God, a dumb bitch. She's such a dumb bitch. I hate her so much. <sighs> she really is. Yeah, I, I'm tempted <laughs> to put a phone over up here, except I don't want to save one of her on my computer. <laughs> yeah, that's a good point. Coy yeah. uh, Hubbard took Sylvia back downstairs, tied her up, and slammed her head against the wall six or seven times. When Jenny snuck downstairs later that evening, Sylvia told her, quote, Jenny... I know you don't want me to die, but I'm going to die. I can tell. The seriousness of the situation was finally hitting everyone involved. They let Sylvia come up and use the bathroom and sleep in a bed that night. The next day, Gertrude and Stephanie bathed Sylvia in warm water this time, not scalding hot. Then knowing what had happened uh, to her will eventually come back to them, Paula and Gertrude decided to cover their tracks. They went to Sylvia and had her write a note to her parents. First she wrote, Dear Mom and Dad, and they made her stop and write this instead. Dear Mr. and Mrs. Likens, I went with a gang of boys in the middle of the night, and they said that they would pay me if I would give them something. So I got in the car, and they all got what they wanted. And when they got finished... They beat me up, left sores on my face and all over my body. And they also put on my stomach, I am a prostitute and proud of it. I have done just about everything that I could do to make Gertie mad and cause Gertie more money than she's got. I've tore up a new mattress and peed on it. 
I have also cost Gertie doctor bills that she really can't pay and made Gertie a nervous wreck and all of her kids and then told her not to sign it for some reason. Okay. <laughs> Whatever you do, don't sign that. It yeah. has to be notarized first. What the fuck? It doesn't make any sense. Why Mr. and Mrs. Why not just mom and dad? What? It... Yeah, it's kind of obvious then that somebody else get her a ride in that case. Yeah. You know, like that's, yeah. Well, and the fact that she's, okay, you're a prostitute and you're letting boys have your their way with you. You know, if, if she dies, there's a real easy way for them to tell if she's been sexually active or not. You fucking idiot. Yeah, and a Pepsi bottle ain't yeah. ain't gonna do that. So uh, especially one a glass one from nineteen sixty five. Those things yeah. they're I mean they're not they're not like little twenty ounce plastic bottles. They're long bottles. <sighs> well, we'll see what happens. So they tried to get her to eat a couple crackers and drink some water, but she knew what was coming and that she didn't have long, so she told them to just give it to the dog. So Gertrude punched her in the stomach, crammed the crackers into her already swollen mouth, and left her tied up in the basement. The next day, Gertrude had decided that maybe it was time to get rid of Sylvia for good. They spoke openly of taking her out to a dump and leaving her to die. Sylvia heard it, and it wasn't like, you know, we should really take care of this. Like, Sylvia's sitting there, they're like, why don't we just tie her up and throw her into the fucking into a dump or something so she could just die there? Sylvia's sitting right there listening to it. So she heard it and made a mad dash to leave. But in her weakened state, she was only able to shamble out to the porch before Gertrude caught her and dragged her back in. She sat her down in the kitchen and tried to get her to eat some toast. Again, if you're just going to take her out into the middle of fucking wherever and leave her to die, why are you giving her toast? Why do you care if she eats if you're just going to take her out somewhere and let her die? Yeah, it's just... it's Because you can't say then that she didn't. She didn't do the I right suppose. thing. <laughs> but it's like everything she does is just counterintuitive to everything else she does. It's so fucking stupid. It's almost like she didn't have it planned out. And she was... You know, a dumb bitch. Yeah, yeah, she's, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> she yeah. is. I was giving her her last meal. You know, everybody deserves to get her I, I suppose, your last meal of toast and finger soup. Finger soup, yeah. Uh, when Sylvia said she couldn't swallow the toast, you know, from all the damage done to her body, yeah. Gertrude decided it would be a good idea to grab a cur- a brass curtain rod and whip her in the face over and over until the pieces were bent at right angles. Cuz that helps. Yeah. I can't My eat this not working the physical very well. damage. Yeah. Well, oh, well, here's a little bit more just to uh <laughs> force the issue. Yeah. That evening, Coy Hubbard again stopped by and, probably because Gertrude had just, this this part is funny, probably because Gertrude had just embarrassed herself by swinging the paddle at Sylvia, missing, and giving herself a black eye. Ha! <laughs> Bitch. How the fuck do you do? How are you swinging that paddle to where you're going to hit yourself in the eye? Like this? <laughs> 
Koi decided to hit her so hard with a broomstick that it left her unconscious. That guy's an asshole, too. Oh, yeah, he's a big asshole. She was then dragged down to the basement and left there for the night. Now, at some point, she regained consciousness, but only had enough strength from the constant beatings and starvation to bang the head of a shovel over and over again on the concrete to try and get the attention of someone outside. The Vermilions next door heard the shovel and seriously contemplated calling the police because they thought it was weird that someone would be shoveling past midnight. But when the sound suddenly stopped around 3 in the morning, they said screw it and went to bed. They thought that they were shoveling. They thought somebody in the Benetreski's house was shoveling coal in the basement. And they thought that was odd. Well, then call the fucking cops, you dipshit. Especially after seeing the fact that, you know, they knew that they were beating her. Because there's a good chance if they're digging something in the basement, it's probably her fucking grave. That's true. Yeah. The next day, October 26th, 1965, Sylvia lay on the makeshift mattress in the basement, moaning and mumbling her ABCs over and over, except she could only ever make it to D. A, B, C, D. Over and over and over. That's all she could say. Now that afternoon, they gave her a rotten pear to eat, but she was unable to bite into it, claiming that, quote, all my teeth feel loose, which is probably from the starvation and the constant face um, beatings. beatings. Yeah. They tried to get her upstairs, but she collapsed near the steps. So Gertrude, infuriating, stepped onto Sylvia's face with both feet and just stood there for a while. Just stood on her face. She ran out of all her other good ideas. I was just going to stand on your fucking face. She told Randy Lepper to run home and grab his garden hose. And when he returned... Stupid name. (laughs) Randy Lepper. Yeah. If I ever met a Randy Lepper, I think I'd be uh, fairly worried. No, don't come near me with your penis. (laughs) (laughs) Don't come near me with your penis. Uh, He ran home and grabbed his garden hose, and when he returned, Johnny grabbed the hose and used it on Sylvia, who was already covered in laundry detergent. They covered her in powdered laundry detergent and sprayed her down with the hose to clean her. Good old Daz makes whiter whites whiter, or whatever the fucking hell the thing is. I suppose. I can't imagine that fucking tide in your your open sores feels all that great, but all right. Yeah. It was Stephanie that stopped the punishment, yelling at them to turn off the hose and getting Ricky Hobbs to help her carry Sylvia up to the kitchen. Sylvia was cold and her breathing was labored. They put her fully clothed in a warm bath. All the while, Gertrude yelled about how she was faking it and that she was fine. Then they dressed her in warm clothes and put her on the mattress in the bedroom. Stephanie ordered Ricky to call the doctor But he did one better. He called the police. Sylvia looked up to Stephanie and said, quote, Oh, take me home, Stephanie. Then stopped breathing. Stephanie tried mouth to mouth and hoped the cops could bring some 
life-saving equipment with them. But by the time the police got there, the young, once beautiful and full of life Sylvia Likens, stripped naked, laying on the mattress in the basement per Gertrude's orders, was dead. When the police arrived, Gertrude gave them the letter she made Sylvia write, which is beyond fucking stupid, but okay. In the midst of the commotion, Jenny Likens whispered to one of the police, Get me out of here, and I'll tell you everything. So this statement, combined with the police's discovery of Sylvia's body in the basement, prompted the officers to arrest Gertrude, Paula, Stephanie, Johnny, Ricky, and Coy for murder. Mike, Man- Mike Monroe, Randy Lepper, Judy Duke, and Anna Sisko were arrested, arrested for injury to a person. Gertrude, John, Paula, Ricky, and Coy were held without bond. Charges against Anna, Judy, Mike, and Randy were dismissed. Stephanie, again, the smart one, was smart enough to get her own lawyer that got her a separate trial from the others, and the DA ended up just dropping the charges. Because even though Stephanie was at some times a bitch to her, she didn't... She didn't come anywhere near killing Sylvia. Yeah, she's just, yeah, yeah, she didn't. There's only kind of what, the one major thing thing that you covered where she was seemed to be kind of throwing stuff at her. Yeah. yeah. But she was always the one that would stop it. Uh, she was the one who tried to save Sylvia at the end. The autopsy of Sylvia Likens turned up over 100 cigarette burns on her body. In addition to various second and third degree burns, severe bruising, muscle and nerve damage, in her death throes, Sylvia bit through her lips, nearly severing each of them. Her vaginal cavity was nearly swollen shut, although an examination of the canal determined that her hymen was still intact, largely discrediting along with Uh, lack of any ripping or tearing to the rectum, Gertrude's assertion that Sylvia was a prostitute and completely disproving her instance that she was pregnant. The official cause of death is brain swelling, internal hemorrhage of the brain, and shock. Now, the trial is kind of a shit show that I just don't feel like doing an entire other episode on because uh, the books that you read about this a, not quite half, but close to half of the book is just the trials. It's like, I'm not going through all that. Um, so here's just kind of the little, like, highlights. May of 1966, the state of Indiana versus Gertrude Banachewski, John Banachewski, Paula Banachewski, Rick Hobbs, and Coy Hubbard started with four different lawyers all trying to pin the murder on the other one. They're all they're all under in trial for the same thing at the same time. And they're all like, no, 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 no. Them. They didn't. No, they didn't. Just everybody at the table just fighting with one another. And it was actually the testimony of Gertrude's young daughter, Marie, who broke down on the stand and unexpectedly told the court the entire story. 
was one of those weird times you always see in movies where somebody just finally breaks down and tells everything. Yeah. That happened. And honestly, if it didn't, might not have got the same results. So Paula was convicted of second-degree murder, appealed, granted a new trial, and struck a deal for voluntary manslaughter, served three years, and was then paroled. John, Ricky, and Coy were each convicted of voluntary manslaughter and sentenced to 18 months in a juvenile detention facility. Now, by the time the now 17-year-old Ricky was released, the severity of his crimes had sunk in. He suffered a nervous breakdown, started heavy chain smoking, which led to severe decay of his lungs. And by the time he was 21, he was dead of lung cancer. Jesus fucking Christ. (laughs) Yeah. My wife smokes quite a bit, and she's 38. Or not, no, she's 37, and she has fairly clear lungs, especially for a smoker. You imagine starting smoking when you're 17, and by the time you're 21, you're dead from lung cancer? How, uh, Jesus, I get it, it's 1965, 19, early 1970s cigarettes, not cigarettes they have now. Yeah. Fucking hell. They were different back then. They were different. Gertrude was sentenced to 18 years to life in prison, where she became what many say was a model prisoner, like a den mother to younger female inmates, kind of like Robert Hansen was seen as a model inmate. Oh, yeah. Um, Oh, they're dickhead. Yeah. (laughs) I was kind of hoping she'd be like um, Jesse Pomeroy and just try to make wild escapes to get out of prison and she'd just be there for the rest of her life, but no. She'd be like fucking Rita from Power Rangers. (laughs) Yeah! For some reason, she has these weird monsters with her for, for whatever. Yeah. Um, but no, she she was she was actually well liked by most of the people in the prison, and she, and she was she she did well enough that once she came up for parole in 1985, she was known as Mom to everybody in the prison. Um, she actually won her parole hearing. She actually got out in 1985, moved to Iowa, and she died five years later. Good. Yeah. So, not a fun one, I understand. But, uh, you're doing a podcast called Torture. This one pretty much, (laughs) pretty much hits all the, all all the the notes. Uh, Dan, you have any pop culture? Yeah, I was having a look there. There's the, uh, a 2007 film, An American Crime, is based directly on it, starring, um, Elliot Page as Sylvia um, and then there's The Girl Next Door is loosely based on it which was based on a mm. book as well okay. and then it's covered in a couple of things TV shows there's a documentary Deadly Women thing apparently okay. um, but uh, as look as well the memorial that was wrecked is pretty nice there's a memorial erected in 2001 for Sylvia Okay. In Washington Street in Indianapolis. So there is. But um yeah, I can't see anything else to do with um that exactly, but yeah, I think we've I seen... feel like this would be a a really hard movie to make, you know. Yeah, like I've never seen an American crime. I've I remember seeing it advertised and stuff like that. It's not something I've ever seen though, so 
I don't know if I want I've to watch never, it. Now. I've never seen it. <laughs> so, I think my favorite El- Elliot Page movie back when you know before he was Elliot was uh, Have you ever seen Hard Candy? Yes, brilliant film. That is great. Yeah. Fucking love that goddamn movie. Yeah. Oh. oh, and and he's great in um, the Umbrella Academy. I love that too. Yeah, yeah, that's a fantastic yeah. show. Yeah. Well, thank you to our patrons, Inquisitor Willow Quinn Fowler, Inquisitor Rayoni, and our torture noob, MX, MX Sinister 26. Uh, if you'd like for us to read your emails like I did for Jagamani earlier, uh, send them to torturepod at gmail.com. Message us on Instagram and all the other social medias at torturepod. I just posted for the first time on threads, Instagram's threads for us. Okay. So, yeah, well, it's like Instagram's Twitter, I guess. Now that Twitter's X and owned by a fucking idiot, uh, rate and review on Apple. Follow or subscribe to us on whatever service you listen to. Head over to our YouTube page. Um, you know, we got a bunch of shit over there. Uh, you like to donate to the show? You can go to our link tree, which is on our socials, or you can buy us coffee at buymeacoffee.com/slash/torturepod. Which can be found on our link tree. Or you can go to our Patreon, patreon.com slash torturepod and go buy some merch. Uh, Redbubble, redbubble.com slash people slash torturepod. Get our uh, get our hats. Yeah. Uh, Dan. Nice sweet t-shirt. Yeah. Dan, any words of wisdom? <laughs> oh, God. I, I completely forgot that I had to prepare for this thing. Um, <laughs> Just something off the top of your head. It's fine. Don't yeah. Uh, that's just fair enough. No, it was actually, it was, wasn't very wise of Gertrude anyway now to go handing over that letter. That's something I was thinking of. It's like, don't go handing yeah. the smoking gun of your crime to what part thereof to, uh, to the cops. But, um, look, if you're going to do a tattoo at home, don't use a heated needle. You could get infected. <laughs> you know, that's, Not a good idea. No. Um, like, you really run the risk of infection. If you do something like that, like, you know, I know people think, oh, the heat, that'll kill the thing. But you're now creating a burn, open wound. It's just stupid stupidity. Don't do it. Get professional. Yeah, go to, to a professional. It. Don't get yeah. coy or whatever the fuck his name was. Was it coy <laughs> that did it? Uh, it was um, Randy? Or, or probably Randy. Randy. Oh, oh, yeah, yeah. Randy. Sorry. Yeah, it was Randy, Rand, Rand, Randy Lepper. Um, oh, and also, yes, if you ever meet a person called Randy Leopard, just stay away from them. Um, <laughs> no, it was, I don't it know Ricky, how we it was Ricky Hobbs that actually right. did it. I don't know how well, Randy didn't have like, some sort of really ridiculous nickname. Because <laughs> his name in general is just fucking horrific. Um, <laughs> like, like, seriously, like, why would... <laughs> name like Randy Why would you change Leopard? your last name? Just change your name. Change your name. Yeah. <laughs> Randy Healthy. Randy Healthy. Well, it's it's and it's spelled like L E P P E R. So it, it, so it's not like leper or like No, no, yeah, leper. but still like no. still. <laughs> it's the first thing I thought of was, was a really horny leper. <laughs> His dick just falls off. <laughs> Think of that part of it. Oh. That's why I say don't run Randy. That's why I say keep your dick away from me. <laughs> keep your penis away from me. Because oh, he, he's a really horny person oh. with leprosy, people. 
this one. It's just Austin Powers walking around, body parts falling off. Yeah. It's all Randy. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Oh, fuck. All right. Wait, that's my best piece well, of advice then. Dead word of wisdom. Do not name your child Randy Leper. <laughs> Right. Oh, fuck. That's it. Take care of yourselves. Take care of one another. We'll see you. Adios.